Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, listeners. It's Claire here. And for this episode of the show, we are bringing you another Money Clinic classic, financial tips for the self-employed. Behind the scenes, we are putting together season two of Money Clinic, which will launch this September. It's going to be packed with real life stories, interviews and advice on the money aspirations and concerns we know are on our listeners' minds. So listen out for investment masterclasses from the likes of the naked trader, Robbie Burns, and expert advice on a range of your real life money stories. And it's not too late to get in touch with us if you'd like to feature on the show. Maybe you're single and navigating the world of personal finance without a partner. I'm also looking for guests who follow the FIRE movement. If you do, you'll know what that means. And I'm always interested in hearing what you think about crypto. So email me, money at ft.com, or send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter. My account is at Claire B. In the meantime, I want to take you back to February this year. Rhiannon was looking to buy a house for her and her son, but struggling to get a mortgage on her freelancer salary. The episode is full of information that is still really relevant to any freelancers wondering how to get their finances in shape. Here it is. Have you ever dreamed of starting your own business? It might sound liberating or more fulfilling, but being an employee has some perks that you might miss the IT department when things go a bit funny on the old computer or your phone line. That's Rhiannon. She became self-employed a few years ago when she set up her own business. So now my IT department is YouTube. Rhiannon wanted the freedom of being her own boss, but like millions of self-employed people in the UK, she's found there are drawbacks when it comes to financial products, like mortgages. It's just much more difficult the amount of detail you need to give mortgage providers when you're self-employed. When it seems like the odds are stacked against you, it can be hard to find the time and energy to figure out your own financial future, especially during the pandemic. But today's episode is packed with tips to help the self-employed give their finances the TLC they deserve. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. Around four and a half million people in the UK are self-employed. 
Since the 2008 financial crisis, women have accounted for nearly two thirds of those setting up on their own, including my guest this week, who runs her own virtual personal assistant business. My name's Rhiannon. I'm 33 years old and have been self-employed since 2018. So it's actually just me and my son. I'm a single parent after the breakdown of my marriage back in 2018. So yeah, it's just him and I at the moment, spending a lot of time together homeschooling. Wow. So it sounds like the year 2018 was a pretty big one for you in the sense that your marriage ended, but also your own business started, which is an incredible milestone. Yeah, it was. It was kind of um, a sink or swim scenario. And actually, it was a big transitional year because I had been living abroad with my then husband. So it also involved a move back to the UK. Putting a business degree and bookkeeping qualification to good use, Rhiannon set herself up as a virtual PA, helping clients like hairdressers and personal trainers with their admin and accounts. When my circumstances drastically changed and I found myself with no income effectively, it was a needs must thing. So with, you know, Wi-Fi and a laptop, I built my own website. I started networking, got myself out on social media. At first, Rhiannon was juggling her PA work part time around her son's nursery hours. But she's managed to scale up over the past couple of years. So the first year's turnover was relatively low, I think around the £20,000 mark. As it's now grown, I'd say I'm now turning over around thirty-five to 40000 a year. But while her business is going well, even through the pandemic, Rhiannon has noticed that working for herself in many ways is not quite as cushy as being a fully paid up employee of a company. Having been in employment in the corporate world, in the city, yeah, there were lots of perks like pension contributions. You know, you notice in your payslip that your pension contributions are coming out automatically and the company are contributing on your behalf. Whereas obviously being self-employed income can vary greatly month by month. So yeah, very different. If you're self-employed, you miss out on one of the most valuable benefits for employees. There's no employer to contribute to your pension fund. Even so, Rhiannon decided to start a pension herself using an app called Penfold that's designed for the self-employed. She's putting away about £100 each month. She worries that she should save more, but she knows that once the money's gone into the pension, she can't get it out again until her late 50s. Yeah, it is tricky. And I think that's probably why I'm not contributing maybe as much as I would like currently, just because I feel like it's important to have a bit of a buffer, a cash buffer in the business bank accounts to account for, you know, anything that could happen if I suddenly become unwell and I'm not able to work. That's obviously going to impact my income. Apart from the pension, Rhiannon's other priorities are to sort out life insurance and ultimately buy a house for her and her son that's close to his school. I was lucky enough to purchase my first property, which was under a shared ownership scheme when I was 23, but subsequently had to sell that due to moving abroad. So yeah, to get back on the property ladder is my goal. At the tail end of a divorce, she is hoping to put money from her financial settlement towards a place to live. But self-employed Rhiannon has found approaching mortgage providers a real hassle, and nothing like the experience she had when she was a salaried employee. 
it's just much more difficult the amount of detail you need to give mortgage providers when you're self-employed. You know, you can give three months of bank statements when you're employed and that's it. They'll give you the answer there and then. But I had to kind of delve a lot deeper into my business finances and being able to kind of give them projections and explanations as to why a certain period may have had a lower turnover, etc. And have you had any actual conversations with mortgage providers to see how much they might be willing to advance? Yeah, so currently, based on the number of years of accounts that I have been able to provide, I'd be entitled to around a maximum of £36,000. A mortgage of £36,000? A mortgage of 36000 How did it make you feel when the mortgage provider said, well, yeah, you're only good for thirty-six grand"? Just massively deflated, especially because I've been a homeowner before at a much younger age and maybe not kind of working as hard as I am now. So yeah, my circumstances and the fact that I'm self-employed having a negative impact on my desires to want to own a home again. Rhiannon is facing very common problems for the self-employed. I wondered what she would like to find out from the experts. I definitely think obviously pension, how to figure out if I'm paying in the right amount. Um, Obviously, again, mortgages can be much more tricky to guarantee because my income is changeable and also savings schemes as well. So are there any other savings vehicles that are flexible for self-employed people like myself? Someone who understands Rhiannon's situation only too well is my first expert, Holly Mackay, the founder of consumer finance firm Boring Money. But don't worry, Holly is one of the most engaging women in finance I know. She's gone from being an employee to self-employed and then a director of her own business, which aims to make the dry subjects of finance, well, more interesting. I've always preferred the flexibility that being self-employed or running your own business brings, so I, I wouldn't look back or change anything. But Holly knows it can be a tough route to take. I would say for self-employed people, there's just an enormous weight on people's shoulders. I think it's just endless decision-making. And Rhiannon, particularly being a sole parent as well, sort of in the middle of a pandemic, you can't try and be perfect in every single decision and agonize and procrastinate. But I think there are some things where we have to learn just to go with what's okay for now, that something is better than nothing. What kind of advice would you give to people who are self-employed to manage these ups and downs? I think there are three things that everyone needs to get their heads around and get sorted. The first is life insurance. The second is a will, actually, particularly if you're a parent or indeed a single parent, as Rhiannon is. And the third, Claire, is having some sort of a cash buffer So when those inevitable life emergencies happen, it doesn't sort of throw you off into a wild panic. We'll call it Holly's Holy Trinity. The first two, life insurance and wills, can be sorted out pretty quickly online. With life insurance, I went online just sort of checking it out before this podcast. I'm older than Rihanna. I'm in my late 40s, gulp. I answered the questions. It would cost me about £30 a month for £200,000 worth of life cover. You can do it in 10 minutes and just get that monkey off your back. I think it's fundamental for many of us, particularly if we're parents. Depending on the policy, life insurance could pay out either a lump sum or a regular income to your dependents in the event of your death, and could even be used to clear debts, like a mortgage. When it comes to wills, 
well, we actually discuss them quite a bit in our New Year's episode. If you haven't already heard it, you can get loads of great tips there for setting one up quickly and for not much money. We'll link to it in the show notes. Now, what about the third part of Holly's Holy Trinity? The cash buffer. I think this is more important than thinking about saving into a pension or an ICE or anything else. It's just that immediate access to cash if things go wrong. And most financial planners, Claire, will suggest you have between three months and six months income in an easy access or similar sort of cash savings product. Once you've got your cash buffer sorted, Holly says pensions are the best home for your long-term savings because of favourable tax rules. Saving into a pension makes the most sense out of any of the vehicles out there because for every 80 quid you pay into a pension, if you're a basic rate taxpayer, the government will top it up with 20 quid. That's effectively free money. Now, the good news is there are more apps out there. Rhiannon's found her way to one. You can do it online. It doesn't have to be endlessly complicated. And it's all digital, right? So you can stay on top of this and kind of keep your head around what you've got in it. And remember, you can start small. I think this is becoming my mantra. My advice to people, it's a bit like fitness, I think, is when it comes to it, don't try and run a marathon to start with. Just start, just open one up, just put in £100, set up a direct debit, even if it's £10 a month, just get into the habit and kind of ease yourself into it. Because for self-employed people, this is going to bite, right? Um, when when people get to their 60s, there's been no one sort of doing it for them. Um, so you've, we've really got to take um, ownership of that. If you're self-employed and have been saving money for a property deposit, that's a great first step. But then the really tricky question is who is going to give you a mortgage? Step forward Will Rind, the head of mortgage advice at Habito, an online mortgage broker. What's a mortgage broker, I hear you ask? So a mortgage broker is someone that acts as an intermediary between the banks and yourself. They can access the whole of the market so they can search deals across multiple lenders that all have different criteria and assess risk on how much they can lend in a different way. And what they can do is they can submit your application on your behalf. So if they're doing your mortgage application for you, that must be pricey, right? My advice would be you can pay, but you don't need to. So speak to a broker that doesn't charge a fee. Now that's cleared up, over to Will. A little bit of background about myself. I've been in mortgages for around 13 years now and uh, have a toe for just under two years. It's always been harder for self-employed people to get a mortgage, but why is it especially hard at the moment? COVID-19, it's affected many of us in many ways, but it certainly impacted a number of businesses and their ability to trade, and that's made lenders slightly more cautious than what they have been in in the past. Now, lenders usually ask for the last two years of accounts uh, and sometimes for the last three years to verify income But that's obviously historic income and doesn't really show the current state of affairs. So lenders are now asking for recent bank statements to show cash flow and to almost evidence that the business has returned to pre-COVID trading levels. Self-employed people who've claimed a government grant during the pandemic, Self-Employed Income Support Scheme, could find this is a red flag for mortgage lenders. So if you have taken a grant, that's fine, but lenders will need to see that you've returned to previous revenues and they'll ask you to evidence that. Even so, because of COVID, many mortgage lenders are treading very carefully when it comes to deposits. No one really knows the long-term impact of COVID and how that'll affect house prices. 
So lenders are also quite cautious in that arena as well, particularly with a smaller deposit. So if you've got 10% or less, whether employed or self-employed, there are fewer lenders available at present offering these type of mortgages. Some lenders have increased the the deposit that's required. 25% is the minimum for some. 25%? Goodness me, that's huge. It's big. And there's also lenders that aren't offering mortgages to self-employed at present. They deem the risk too high, which is not really fair. A broker can help you find the lenders that will say yes. But even with their help, how much might you be able to borrow? The answer lies in the last two to three years of your accounts. So if you are a sole trader... That's a self-employed person who owns and runs their own business. Most lenders will take your net profits and that's what they would use in their affordability calculations. It's important to note that as a sole trader, if your profits have gone up, then they'll take an average. But if they've gone down, they'll only take the last year's worth of income. So that's something that's quite important to note. Heads they win, tails you lose, it seems. And it's not just income lenders will be looking at. They will also assess affordability. What they'll also look at is all of your outgoing. So any debts you've got, loans or credit cards, and that would be factored in as an outgoing. They also look at if you've got children or dependents, and that will reduce what you could borrow and also the overall term of the mortgage. Unfortunately, even a large deposit may not always be enough to land you a mortgage. You could have a 50% deposit, but if the remainder, your accounts aren't sufficient to cover that amount in the lender's eyes, i.e. when they do their affordability assessment, your income isn't sufficient, then sadly you're not going to get the amount that is required. So what did Will make of the lowball mortgage offer Rhiannon received from her bank? It's not uncommon to hear that new businesses are being offered small amounts, particularly when they've, uh, I say, only just started. It could be two or three years that they've got books for. But um, as I mentioned, lenders uh, will base what they can lend on the last two years of accounts. And that's usually an average of the last two years earnings. But it's not all doom and gloom if you're self-employed and looking to get on the property ladder. Will has some useful tips to boost your chances of getting a mortgage. If your income has gone up recently, then get your accounts done early because that's what the lender will base how much they can lend on. Next up, shop around. I do think it's worth speaking to a broker and speak to a broker early. It's advisable not just to go to your bank because you'll only get an idea of what one lender can lend you. Third, keep your spending in check. We spoke about affordability assessment, so keep your personal debts down. It might sound like an obvious one, but that will reduce what you can borrow. Fourth, almost there, check out your credit score. And also keep up with your payments. Your credit score is equally important as your income. There will be a credit check done on yourself, so it's important you have a a squeaky clean credit history. And last but not least... It's also worth applying when your revenue is high. To my point previously that lenders are now asking for recent bank statements, so if you've had good income in the last few months, then that will give the lender a bit of confidence that the business is doing well. Both of the podcast experts have provided some great pointers for Rianne. But what does she make of what they have to say? Yeah, really helpful to get their insight. There was lots of things that Will mentioned that I wasn't even aware of that banks took into consideration. So the fact that they kind of take the positive when your business is doing well, but also if you've been making losses or not been doing as well, they'll take that over the last year so that was quite insightful and it was um good to know just kind of be reconfirmed that it is quite tricky for 
those that are self-employed when applying for mortgages. I didn't even know that having dependents could reduce your feasibility of getting a mortgage as well. I had no idea that that, that even came into it. I literally just thought they looked at your earnings and that, and that was it. So yeah, so I feel like I'm a bit clear about what I need to do. I thought that Will's advice for somebody whose business is on the ascendant right now to get your accounts done as early as you can when the new tax year starts in April, I thought that was a very, very helpful tip. Definitely. And that's something I'll definitely be taking on board. So I'm a qualified bookkeeper, so I've been doing my books myself. And I normally get them in early, maybe around June, July time, but I think I'll be getting them in sooner than that this year. So Holly's Holy Trinity for self-employed parents, especially, the cash buffer, sorting out a will, and sorting out life insurance. Now, her philosophy is you can do these things quickly and cheaply online, get something in place. You can always upgrade the level of cover or the level of details later on. But is that something that you feel confident now about putting on your financial to-do list? Yeah, I mean, it had always been on the to-do list, but kind of at the bottom of it. And I always thought once my divorce had gone through and I was in a bit more of a settled financial situation, then I will do it. But now I know I can just get it done now and change it as and when my circumstances change. I think Holly got it really spot on when she said about having a buffer and how important that is. And I think that became evident at the beginning of the pandemic when, you know, it was a very uncertain times and I was thinking, oh gosh, what if things go terribly wrong? But yeah, no, really, really helpful. That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week. And we hope you like what you've heard. If you do, spread the word and leave us a review. If you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Josh Delamere and Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.